today on Ag News Daily. And, you know, it's not just about our group and our research team pushing information out. We want to make sure that we are very responsive to the industry's needs. Good afternoon, everyone. It is me and Delaney here on the podcast today to talk to you about the headlines that we're reading today. Delaney, what kind of news do you have for us? Well, Ashton, I am following a couple big headlines today. I think I want to kick things off looking at South America, and I know you've got some South American news as well, so I'll kick it off here looking at Brazil. So let's see, it's been, gosh, like two and a half, three years now when this first broke with the Batista brothers, who of course run JBS packing facilities all over the world. Of course, we uh, all know kind of the happenings behind that with um, them going to jail and having some issues of bribes and other serious allegations, criminal charges. But we've got some new headlines today that have shaken the marketplace. A Brazilian superior court ruled on Tuesday that Wesley and Josely Batista can return to positions of management at JNF Holdings, which is, of course, the parent company for JBS South America, the world's largest meat packer headquartered in Brazil. I thought this was pretty surprising because, as we know, again, these were allegations. Nothing has been proven one way or the other of them buying people off, of them doing some pretty shady stuff when it came to the way they were regulating sanitation and other factors at their packing facilities. Um, But the judge said that his decision, I said that in his decision, it no longer made sense to hold and bar Josely Batista from positions in the company and is allowing them to return as major shareholders and heads of the company. Again, they've been barred from doing anything, holding any positions since about 2018. So they've been out of commission here for about two years. They are back in the position of power, it would seem now. So I don't know what happened. We know that they have been allegedly accused of bribing people. Perhaps they bribed this judge. I don't know. I I am not saying one way or the other, just a little speculation. Yeah, I, I think I'll be following along with that, Delaney, as well as that transition goes back into place with them getting back there into those positions of power. I also have a little bit of news about Brazil following my report yesterday on Brazil's Second largest port being closed 24 hours due to a worker testing positive for COVID-19. So China has bought over 10 cargoes of Brazilian soybeans this week, according to a report by Bloomberg. I read this article on agweb.com this morning, and it potentially hits another growing rift between the U.S. and China due to the coronavirus response. So I thought that was a little bit interesting just because of the port that we talked about yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And as we talked about yesterday, it doesn't seem like that port being closed or you know, affected by COVID-19 has really done much to impact the pace at which Brazil continues to ship out soybeans, especially to China. Yeah, and one other headline that I have been following today, bringing it back domestically, is state fair cancellation. So I saw also on agweb.com today a interactive map with 
state fair cancellations. So Alaska, Hawaii, Montana, California, Oregon, North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Ohio, New Jersey, and Vermont have all canceled their state fairs this year. And Nevada's being rescheduled and Illinois governor says their state fair is unlikely to be held as scheduled. And so I was curious to see if other states follow suit and you can follow along with me on agweb.com and follow that interactive map just to see if any other shows um, and state fairs will be closed. Mm -hmm. So this was a little interesting to me just because I have seen a lot of emergence of virtual livestock shows, which I don't comprehend on how that works at all. I think it's, you know, a great effort for young 4-H kids and FFA students who are still wanting to exhibit those projects that they've spent so much time on. But I just, I don't really understand how it all works. And it also raised the question for me, at least, about junior nationals this summer. I know that the Shorthorn Junior Nationals will be held in Abilene down here in Texas, as well as the Shorthorn State Show. And so it kind of made me question on whether or not any of those are going to be rescheduled or anything. I haven't really heard too much just because I'm not too involved in that world, but it definitely made me raise my eyebrows a little bit when I saw that. Yeah, and uh, you'll note that Texas and Iowa were not part of those two states listed yet about canceling state fairs. I know here in the state of Iowa, I I don't know when they're going to make a decision. I think they've been talking about it a lot. I think they're also talking about the potential to do some sort of virtual livestock show like you're suggesting there, Ashton. But I mean, Texas and Iowa state fairs are probably two of the largest, if not the two largest and most popular state fairs in the entire country. So if those two cancel, I have a feeling that pretty much every other state will cancel theirs too. Yeah, I didn't really look and see on the map the states that were in green that were still getting the go ahead to do their state fairs. I didn't look and see any of the comments or anything to see what the governor or any livestock officials have said. So if you guys have any information on that and you want to keep us in the loop, go ahead and reach out to us on social media. And so we can keep up with the times. Absolutely. And if you're one of those local county fairs or even your state fair is considering doing virtual livestock tour or virtual livestock shows, hit us up on social media and explain to us how that works. Because I'm with you, Ashton. I can kind of conceptualize how that works. But I mean, at the end of the day, like how does a judge judge a steer or a heifer or a hog based off of video? I don't know. So it's going to be interesting to see how that transpires. Absolutely. I've reached out to a couple of web webcasting services to see if we can get somebody on the podcast to explain to us a little bit about what okay. they're doing. I like it. Livestock show-wise and auction-wise, I know that people yep. do online sales all the time, but with the new standard coming out, you know, seeing what everybody's doing to adjust. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Well, the other big headline that I've been watching a little bit today is continued relief coming from Washington, D.C. We are watching Senate Democrats lay out another new proposal for some relief. Specifically, this one is an $8 billion Food Supply Protection Act, which would fund quite a few different things, including personal protective equipment for processing and food plants. It would also, I thought this was interesting, potentially give some money to restaurants to prepare to-go meals for people who 
either can't afford meals or having a hard time accessing the food that they need access to. So an aid package would help with that. And they also allocate about a billion dollars to state and tribes to carry out feeding projects. And this food, the foods targeted by this bill are specifically meat, produce, dairy products, and eggs. And so um, they will be some of the same commodities featured in the Farmers to Families Food Box program that I know you have talked about previously, Ashton. So this bill unfortunately doesn't authorize any direct payments to farmers, but as we know through the HEROES Act, and we chatted yesterday with Administrator Fordyce about that, that's already got about $16 billion in direct payments. I've talked to a few farmers who have said this process for the CFAP is so easy. It takes like maybe 10 minutes, really an easy program. I think the only thing that we should have asked this yesterday, but didn't really think about it in time is, how does this work once you sign up? You, you know, as Richard or as Administrator Fordyce shared, you basically sign up and you share your numbers, your livestock head or your bushels. But is there any sort of like accountability system? So that's the one question I've heard from a lot of farmers is, are they going to get audited? And if so, how should they prove that they have these bushels or had these bushels? So I think that's still kind of the one question that we're waiting to see a little more clarity on and nobody likes audits. <laughs> so I'm fearful for farmers that we're going to see quite a few audits this year. And if you didn't happen to be honest on your loan application, what happens then? Do you get penalized? And if so, how much do you have to pay back? So I don't know. There's still a few big questions like that to be answered. Of course. And I'm excited as I get a little bit more educated on farming and policy and all that stuff. I don't know as much as you or Mike, um, but I'm excited to see all of that unfold and get a few of my own questions answered along with those farmers that are still raising their hands too. Absolutely, Ashton. You'll learn it all through the podcast, hopefully. I'm learning as I go along. I have had so much education come through already in the three weeks that I've been here. So I'm Still jotting down notes and all that good stuff. Absolutely. Well, speaking of education, we have a Hot Rod Farmer Minute, which is always educational. Ashton, what do you say? Should we turn it over to Ray? Of course. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. Many do not fully understand the AC settings that are used in a vehicle or farm machine and falsely believe the system is slow to cool the interior. The verbiage may be different, but is traditionally identified as normal and max. Getting into a hot vehicle, many choose max, but that is incorrect. When set to normal, the outside air is cooled and exits through the ducts. On max, the inside air, which is at first substantially hotter, is being cooled. The proper procedure for the quickest cool down is to open the windows and place the AC on normal. 
when the interior stabilizes with the ambient temperature, close the windows. If a further reduction in temperature is desired, switch to max once the interior temperature is below that of outside. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit farmmachinerydigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles. Well, again, that was Ray Bohax. You can catch him every week on the Idle Chatter podcast that is powered by Global Ag Network. But before we get to today's interview, chatting with another new podcast that is dropping as part of Global Ag Network called Pig X Podcast. What do you say, Ashton? Should we chat about the markets for today? Let's do it. Looking across the screen for today, wheat was definitely the big winner. That poses the question, which we will talk about on Monday's Market Monday conversation. Has wheat put in a bottom? But starting off here in the corn market, also big moves on the day with the July contract closing up seven cents to end at 327 and a fourth. The September, excuse me, let's chop down and talk new crop December contract five and three quarters cents to end at 340 and a quarter. Soybeans down just slightly on the day with the July contract down a penny and a half to close at 847 even while the November put on half a cent to close at 856. As I mentioned, wheat had big moves today with the Chicago contract closing up 10 cents in the July month to close at 514 and a half. The September up nine and three quarters cents to close at 517 and three quarters. Hopping over to chat, livestock mixed trade on the day as the June live cattle contract closed 67 and a half cents higher to end at 101.47 and a half. The August up 45 cents to close at 101.17. In the feeder cattle pits, the strength continues as the August contract put on $1.47 to close at $135.50. September up $1.17 to end at $136.25. In the lean hog pits, weakness today. The June contract cut $3.25 to end at $56.92 and a half. July down $3.65 to close at $55.65. And rounding out our markets with the Class 3 dairy futures, May down three cents on the day to close at $12.20. June up two cents to close at $17.95. Without further ado, let's turn it over to our conversation with Jason Ross of the Iowa Pork Industry Center. Well, I'm very excited. We're joined today by Jason Ross, who is the director of the Iowa Pork Industry Center and also works at Iowa State Extension dealing with the swine industry. Jason, I'm excited to have you today because you guys have been working on a project nationwide that is focused on swine mortality. And I want to dive into that a little bit more with you today, but thanks for joining us. Yeah, you bet, Delaney. Thanks for the opportunity to talk. So, Jason, before we start chatting about this pig survivability or pig livability project, tell us a little bit more about the Iowa Pork Industry Center and how you work with Extension, Iowa State Extension, because I know we're a little different here in Iowa than we are maybe in other states. Sure, sure. Yeah, so the Iowa Pork Industry Center was established in 1994, and we really have a, a mission and effort to bring emerging and new technologies and new information to the to the swine industry uh, in Iowa and also to the to the na- to the nation's pork producers, and so you know being housed at Iowa State is a 
is advantageous because of all the faculty programs across the university that that do work related to uh, and relevant to the swine industry. So, for example, there's faculty at uh, the Veterinary College and VD Pam. There's faculty in Ag Engineering and the College of Ag, Animal Science, Econ, Food Science that are all doing research, extension, and teaching in areas that are relevant uh, and influential and impactful on the Iowa pork industry and the U.S. Uh, pork industry. And so really the Iowa Pork Industry Center is, you know, our goal is to help synergize those efforts, find opportunities for collaboration um, where we can work together and, and bring a greater impact on the industry than, than any of those programs would individually. And so our interaction with extension and outreach really is uh, through our co cooperation with a lot of the swine uh, field specialists that are throughout the state. Many of the faculty members that work with the Iowa Pork Industry Center also have extension appointments. And we really think that that model works really well, partly because a lot of the folks that are doing applied research at Iowa State that's relevant to the swine industry, um, you know, are also engaging the swine industry and engaging our field specialists and helping create and deliver that information uh, that's, that's palatable and can be used by pork producers. And, and then we also are very involved with many of the basic science uh, researchers at the university as well, recognizing that uh, today's uh, basic science research is really the, uh, the future's applied research, right? So, and, and so that's, we try to capture all of that effort and uh, the research synergies and capture that value for the industry. And, and as, it, as it develops and is ready to be implemented and adopted by the industry, we wanna be part of that effort to, um, to get it into our producers' uh, toolbox, right? Of, of their tools that they can use to improve their business operation. And really we wanna enable a competitive advantage for the producers that work with the Iowa Pork Industry Center. Yeah, absolutely. So Jason, let's dive into it here because you and other state extensions and industry stakeholders in the swine industry have been working on a project now for about the last year and a half, two years, focused on swine mortality and survivability. Tell us about the process to put that project or proposal together. Yeah, good question. So as part, part of what I just described with our efforts in, you know, synergizing efforts across faculty programs to bring value to the swine industry, we had started working on a, on a project on sow pelvic organ prolapse uh, with a team of investigators from Iowa State University, and then a request for proposals from the National Pork Board cooperating with the Foundation for uh, uh, Food and Agriculture Research came out that was a $2 million uh, project proposal or request for proposals. And so we really took our team at Iowa State and expanded it across multiple departments. And we also then expanded that to a few faculty programs at other institutions as well. So involving uh, Kansas State University and Purdue University. And really, we, we just talked about as a group, what are the things that we can do, what is the area of research and, and areas of extension and outreach where we can provide and develop new information and, and deliver existing information that's going to be useful to the industry to help improve pig livability across all segments of 
pork production. And so that's how we started working about working on that proposal or are really identifying where the areas, the most needed areas for research are and the areas where there's the most information, but it hasn't been delivered uh, as well yet. And so that's really how we pulled the project proposal together. And we've got uh, a, a strong team that there's a lot of different independent parts happening. Um, and but they're all connected and related to each other on the overall uh, objective of the grant, which is to uh, help the industry and help producers continue to improve pig livability. Of course, Jason, and I went on your website earlier to do a little bit of my own research, but in your research in the industry, where are you seeing the most fatalities from farrow to finish? I saw that there were a couple of different um, segments of research, I would say, that you guys have conducted. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about those? Sure, sure. So we, we took the approach that we really wanted to focus on all segments of uh, pork production and try to improve pig livability in, all the, in each of those areas. And, but we didn't do it uh, proportionally, right? So it was, um, or where we did it proportionally to where we thought we could have the most, the most impact. So for example, We've got several projects, um, Dr. Ken Stalder, Dr. Kara Stewart, Dr. Jason Woodworth. Um, their teams are focusing on um, improving pre-wean uh, survival. Everything from reducing the number of stillborns that occur through improving uh, piglet viability uh, through weaning. So, so that's an area that we've placed a significant interest on and partly because that's an area where we think that there's a big opportunity uh, to continue to improve. Um, the other part, right? So we've got uh, Dr. Mike Tokash and uh, Drs. Nick Gabler and Chris Rademacher and Daniel Linares. Those are those guys are all doing different projects related to wean to finish mortality, and and they've been putting out some some great data as well. Um, and then also myself and Ken Stalter are working on improving uh, uh, sow livability as well. So there's. There's multiple projects. There's several others, investigators I, that, that are actually, you know, doing great work. Anna Johnson's working on transition piglets from weaning to uh, to finishing. So when they're when they go through that weaning process, how we can, can continue to uh, reduce stress and improve their viability and performance um, and reduce uh, mortality during that transition period for piglets. So we're really using an all of the above approach. And, you know, we just, you know, we're blessed that the universities that we're working with. And there's a lot of great people at a lot of universities doing great stuff for the swine industry, but we just had a really strong team that can really attack uh, or tackle uh, some of these different pieces really well. Yeah. And there are a lot of moving pieces, obviously, as you've mentioned, they're at a, at a high level, at a research level, but you're also working very diligently to make sure that this information is dispersed to people who actually work in the industry, work in confinement or pig operations. Tell us a little bit more about how you're going about doing that. And I guess we should also put in here the little disclaimer, but you guys are launching a podcast as part of Global Ag Network that begins next Monday. So tell us a little bit about the thought behind that and how you're working to make some of these high-level research um, outcomes and objectives digestible at a producer level. Yeah, you bet, Delaney. You know, the it's interesting when we talked about how do we want to share information because extension and outreach is, an, is a really important component uh, of our project proposal and is, it's a really important component of what we're delivering on. 
And so typically, right, scientists will take their, their research data and they'll publish it in a peer-reviewed journal article. And, and that's an, an, a very important and critical process to publishing research results. And it vets them with other scientists um, and, it, and it really gives them uh, a higher degree of authenticity um, and, and reliability through that vetting process. But another part of that, right, is that a lot of the producers, right, they're raising they're raising pigs. They don't have time to go to different databases and pull up research uh, manuscripts and read those. So a big part of that is helping take those pieces of information from those research manuscripts and the research outcomes and present that in a manner that when producers are seeing that that data, that they can envision how it applies to their production system and their enterprise. And so that's really why we've wanted to work with you and work on developing the podcast. That's why we are uh, developed the pig livability website. It's why we're working on different fact sheets. It's why we're having an uh, international conference in October in Omaha. Um, you know, we, it's why we, you know, do all of the above, right. Is to try and develop that information um, to one help get it into, uh, into all the effective uh, uh hands, right? So that's everything from caretakers up through, you know, decision makers and CEOs of, of, a, of a business. And, and so we want the right information to be in the right hands to be able to affect the most positive change for the industry. And so that's part of the podcast is that that's an, that's an avenue or an avenue that um, people can get that information when they're driving down the road, when they're on an airplane, when they're, you know, uh, power washing, you know, in a barn, right? They can hear those, uh, they can hear that message and, and, and learn about what's going on. And we want to be very open with all the work that we're doing on that and share it uh, with as many people as we can. So, so that's kind of the strategy there. And, and, you know, we're always, we have regular discussions as a team, what, how can we continue to put out additional information and share information with, with the industry that's, that has the opportunity to be impactful for them. Jason, I think that this project, it has so many different things like the podcast coming up, the videos that you guys have created on your website. But what kind of stuck out to me just then was the conference. So why don't, as our final question, you just give us a little bit more info on what we can expect from the conference and maybe how we can register and all that good stuff. Sure. Yeah, the that's a good question, Ashton. The conference, the reason we developed the conference and really you know, we, we debated a little bit, all right, when's the right time to have the conference relative to the, the, uh, the, the grant, right? And so we just chose to do it towards the end of the second year, largely because we would have been making progress and traction on many of the research uh, projects that we've initiated. So we'll have some of the initial results, et cetera, to share from those projects. But we also wanted to have this be a really important time of interaction with the industry and allied industry. And, you know, it's not just about our group and our research team pushing information out. We want to make sure that we are very responsive to the industry's needs and listening um, to the industry's concerns and, and hearing uh, what those issues might be as they relate to pig livability. So that's a big part of that networking and interaction in our conference is to have that uh, and create a, a venue where that dialogue can can happen. And so that's going to take place. Uh, at uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, on October 28th and 29th this fall, and you can register for it by going to uh, uh, going to our website. If you go to piglivability.org and click on the conference tab at the top, 
And then there's a scroll down and there's a register here button. And so that's a way that uh, folks can begin to start putting it on their calendar and, and anticipating some of that work. So we've got uh, a conference website as well that has information about the speakers and the topics that we'll be covering, as well as the sponsors that uh, are helping support this on behalf of the industry. Well, Jason, we're certainly excited to watch this grow. I'm excited to continue to work with you on the Pig X Pot. Pig X podcast, which of course launches Monday. Remind our listeners one more time that website if they'd like to do a little research or reading about this project one more time for us. Yeah, it's www.piglivability.org. Fantastic. Well, Jason Ross with the Iowa Pork Industry Center, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Delaney and Ashton. Well, a big thank you again there to Jason. Again, folks, this podcast, the Pig X Podcast, which is powered by Global Ag Network, comes out on Monday. And I think that really the big takeaway for me is that this podcast, yes, is focused on some pretty high-level research, but the podcast's goal is to create pieces and nuggets of information that are simple take-home messages for anyone who works in the pork industry. Absolutely. And after talking with Jason, I know that I'm super excited and I'm going to be listening on Monday. Yes, absolutely. So go ahead, find it in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now. You should also be subscribed to the Ag News Daily Podcast if you are not already. You can find us on pretty much any podcasting directory or you can always find us online at agnewsdaily.com. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.